G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. There are some outstanding stories from Australians who've supported mission activity over so many years uh, in India and Sri Lanka. But over a century ago, a group of Australians joined together to support the Pandita Ramabai Mukti Mission in India. Their work grew through a range of development initiatives that demonstrate in a practical way the love of Jesus Christ. They look to create opportunities for disadvantaged women and children to have real hope and meaningful lives that realize their God-given potential. In the Indian language called Sanskrit, the word mukti means freedom, liberation and salvation. So we'll be talking about girls and about women today having opportunity to reach their full potential in Christian mission. Makti National Director Glenda De Jager is in Adelaide this week with two women who are representative of the end product of what mission work sets out to achieve. One of those is Malvika, who was born into a rich Hindu family And because she was a girl, she was unwanted and abandoned at the door of the Pandita Ramabai Mukti Mission. Our other guest is Chaya, who went to Mukti when she was 21 years of age and has completed a master's degree in social work, and now she's the social worker at Mukti. So we'll introduce these ladies as we go, but as we get our conversation underway today, uh, let me say a special welcome to Glenda Diego. Hello, Glenda, welcome. Good morning, Neil. And let me just say hello to uh, the other ladies who are with you there. Uh, Malvika, welcome to you. Good morning, Neil. And Thank to you so much. Chaya, welcome along to 2020 to you as well. Thank you, sir. And I might just uh, say, uh, Glenda, a uh, wonderful privilege to have these two ladies in Australia. And you might like to just give us a little bit of an update here. But as I understand it, uh, both Malvika and Chaya, never been out of India before. Uh, they're in Australia. It's their second day here. And no doubt a little bit of an adjustment to our culture. Uh, just to give us a little background on these two ladies being here in Australia. Sure, Neil. Well, what we do at Mukti each year is try and bring through some of our staff from India or uh, sometimes Sri Lanka to uh, come and share with Australians what is happening in those two countries. And this year we're privileged to have Malvika and Shia here. And so they've arrived in Adelaide yesterday, absolutely freezing, of course, having come from a very hot India to freezing cold uh, Adelaide. But they're uh, in the warm hearts of the Adelaide people, so that makes a difference. Now they have some slippers on their feet and coats on their backs. They're warming up and thawing out, so it's great that they're here. So they're here for uh, four weeks and we'll be travelling from Adelaide through country South Australia and country Victoria to Mildura by next weekend, then through uh, New South Wales to Sydney where we've got a dinner on the 24th and then down to Melbourne for our dinner on the 31st. 
So over that time, we'll speak to about 30 different groups in schools and churches, and they'll be sharing what God is doing in India and particularly through Pandita Ramabai Mukti Mission. Glenda, take us back to some of the history here, the connection of Australians uh, to the Mukti mission that goes back over 100 years. Uh, Give us a little bit of this history. Yes, certainly. Uh, Mukti was founded 130 years ago. It's just celebrated that anniversary by a lady who was an Indian. She was a Hindu at that time, and through a set of circumstances, quite amazing circumstances, She embraced Christianity and became a Christian. That happened in England when she was there as a Sanskrit scholar. Her name was Pandita Ramabai, as you can see from the title of the mission. Uh, Pandita is actually a title which was given to her by the Pandits. And so Mukti has an amazing history. And then after some years, uh, a group in Australia, her daughter, actually visited Melbourne And some women in Australia said, we'd like to support this work. It was only a fledgingly work at that stage. And uh, so the work became supported by Australia. And then over the years, in more recent years, we've had three ladies, one from Brisbane, one from Sydney, one from Melbourne, who've been senior staff or superintendents when it was still in the hands of foreign missionaries. But these days, all our staff are nationals in their own country, so they're Indians, and uh, they lead the work and when we go we go as their guests or as volunteers to help in the program in some way so those three women have certainly had a significant role and so Mukti has been well known in Australia over that period of time and then in more recent years when we've changed the name we changed the name in 2009 it was a bit of a mouthful for the Australians to have to say Ramabai Mukti Mission Australia Uh, We're not used to those long names here anymore, so we changed it to Mukti Australia when I became the director, which is now over 11 years ago. And it's been a huge privilege to be involved and to be able to lead the work here. Well, wonderful to hear of that history. And uh, let me just touch on something here, because we're talking about women and girls. Yes. And with a mission that started 130 years ago and with the idea of rescuing, saving women and girls in a mission context in India, and you did mention uh, the sister uh, mission that goes on in Sri Lanka as well, uh, but uh, this idea of rescuing women and girls uh, from tremendous hardships in those days And we can even draw attention here to the idea that Ramabai, who was the founding lady, and as you've described her, she's a real hero of faith, but she had this feminist bent to what she did. And uh, really, in and usually when we use that word feminist, uh, that sort of divides people a little bit. But in the sense here, when we talk about this in a Christian mission sense, uh, having a, a Christian feminism, a very, very powerful thing, and you've got to be that sort of backbone of steel, uh, hard-minded uh, uh, person to be able to be involved in the rescue of girls and women. How do you describe that the character of Ramabai, if you reflect on those early years? Ramabai was an amazing woman. She was born in... T- her father was a guru, so he was a Hindu guru, a teacher... And they moved around and he would teach the Hindu scriptures. So they didn't live a life of luxury. They lived a life of poverty. I guess a bit like an itinerant preacher, if you like. 
And so through a set of circumstances, both her parents died and she and her brother got, got themselves to Calcutta where they had walked quite some distance across India. And it was there because as a 12-year-old, she could recite 18,000 verses of the Hindu scriptures. That's an amazing achievement. And she was recognised then as a scholar. And it was in Sanskrit, the original, uh, the old Indian language. And so they, the Pandits in Calcutta gave her the title of Pandita, the first woman to be given the title of Pandita. And so she eventually married, but she married out of her social status. She, of course, was come as a guru. She was from the highest caste. She married a shudra from the lowest caste, even though he was a lawyer. And so when they married, they had a daughter, Manorama. And by the time she was 23... Ramabai had become a widow. Her husband had died and her, uh, she was left with a little girl. So she'd seen life as a child of a guru, of a young woman with the difficulties of India at that time, and then as a young married woman, and she'd seen all those different stages of life. And so she was very concerned because she was an educated woman and her father had educated her, which was most unusual at that time. Uh, he'd also taught his wife to read and write. But she saw the difficulties of the child widows. So these were little girls of seven or eight who were married off to older men. And when those men died, they became widows. So at that time, they would have been dressed in white, their heads shaved, and they would have been left on rivers like the Ganges to die, um, totally marginalised in that society. And so she wanted to address that issue. And she was challenged by some sisters in England to do so. She went to England as a Sanskrit scholar, as I said, and she saw the work of these, what we would believe were Anglican sisters. And she said, this is what India needs. And she went back to India, started a school for young Hindu widows with two girls. Today, of course, the work impacts thousands of lives. Uh, but it started with two. Often, you know, great works have started with very small numbers and Mukti is no exception to that. Well, we can look at that and say God planted someone like Ramabai uh, into a circumstance and what she began back that 130 years ago has grown into something significant today. Uh, let me bring into the conversation the uh, one of the ladies, uh, Malvika, uh, Malvika, uh, you were born into a, a rich Hindu family, and uh, but somehow or other uh, you were unwanted and abandoned. Can you give us a little insight into your story, Malvika? Okay. <clears throat> I'm so very happy to be here today. Mukti has been family and my home for most of my life because I was born into a wealthy Hindu family. But... At the age of three months, I'm told that my grandmother abandoned me at Mukti. I never saw my parents, my grandparents, and my relatives in my whole life. Mukti has been my family and my supporter and my home. Well, and these days, you are in fact the principal of the mission's primary school. So yes. from your very earliest years, uh, you went through an education 
in the Mukti mission and developed to a point where you're now one of the leaders. Uh, give us a little insight into those early years and your opportunity to be able to get an education through the Mukti mission. I was studied in Mukti Mission School, which Pandit Aramabai established in 1889. Same school, I was studied till standard 10th. After my 10th, I went to junior college in Ahmednagar. That's supported by Mukti. Mukti has paid all my fees and all my expenses. After uh, junior college finished, I went to teachers' training college. There also, Mukti has um, admitted me there, and they paid all my fees. I graduated from there as a teacher, and I joined same school which I studied as a child. Uh, Twenty years, I am uh, experienced of teaching, and after that, I became a headmistress, means principal, in the same school which I studied and which I uh, was a teacher. Malvika, wonderful hearing your story. If I come back to Glenda, Glenda, and I know that uh, Malvika and Chaya, this is uh, English is their second language, and uh, they've not been outside India before, and so were not always so easy at communicating, but they've got just rich stories to tell. And uh, when you reflect on the work that Malvika is now involved in, she's now involved in a next generation of raising up these young girls and getting them educated so that they're not oppressed in any sort of uh, systemic way that keeps girls and women down. Uh, what are your thoughts, yeah. Glenda, for the value of what Malvika is, is doing as a, a product of Christian mission? Well, that's right, Neil. She's giving back what has been given to her. When she came as a, a child to Mukti and would have been cared for in one of the family group homes, and Mukti has about 18 family group homes. It's not one great big institution like people might think. It's uh, based on a family group system. So she would have had a house mum and a guardian attached to that house who she would have regarded very much as her mum and so have grown up that way and then been able to go to primary school. And so now as an adult, she's able to give back and pass that uh, blessing and encouragement and training onto others. Now, the primary school where she is the principal, which is the one that uh, Ramabai started, Sharada Primary, has uh, 575 children in that. And they're girls and boys, so there's lots of little boys there as well. And that goes from kinder to grade four. That's primary school in India. And then after that, you have secondary school from years five to year 10 in our system. And then junior college is year 11 and 12. And Malvika went through all of that there. And then senior college is our first three years of university. So it's a bit of a different system. And they talk about standards rather than grades. So Malvika's done all that. And now she is able, um, as a married woman with two daughters, two grown-up daughters, uh, to give back and to train the next lot of students who are coming through. And when we think of a primary school in Australia, we probably think of 20 kids in a class, uh, lots of nice facilities, a playground, lots of room, and all of that. You know, our Christian schools here are even pretty spectacular, some of them. Yep. But uh, that's not like Sharada Sardin School. 
<laughs> it's quite different. It's got about 10 classrooms, maybe 6 to 10 classrooms, 50 to 60 students in every class, and they sit in three in a desk in quite crowded conditions, but there's a whole team of teachers working with Malvika. But those children have an education and a hope and a future that they would not have if Mukti was not there. And so not only are they girls who are residential at Mukti because of their circumstances, this is also reaching out to the children in the village as well. And so kids who wouldn't have the opportunity of education come to Mukti and so many of them are sponsored children. We help to have that opportunity and that future. And wonderful and work that you're doing there sorry. with those sponsored children, Glenda. Let me come to Chaya for a moment here because Chaya, uh, who's the social worker at Mukti and working with abandoned and traumatised children. Uh, Chaya, give us some insight into the sorts of children that are brought into the Mukti mission and uh, given a home and given a chance at education that they wouldn't have if they were just left on their own or left on the streets. Uh, what uh, what sort of conditions are children coming from into the Mukti mission? Yes. Uh, Neil, I'm yeah. speaking higher. Um, I have many stories about um, our children and ladies and let me tell about Nirmala and Priya. Nirmala and uh, Nirmala uh, is a mute mute lady. So story goes something like that. Yeah, many questions were cluttering in the minds of Nirmala and her daughter Priya. They were so accustomed to life in Mumbai. Nirmala and her little one were safe and comfortable uh, in Ashrayalaya a home for destitute women and children in Mumbai. Unfortunately, the home did not have long-term facility to stay both mother and child. One of the loving sisters, she approached Mukti for this both mother and child. And very soon, Nirmala and Priya were part of the Mukti, of Mukti family. Nirmala born with speech impediment and has been mute since her birth. Due to this disability, her family forced to leave the home and they were don't have home to leave then. So, fit for them, they were uh, only the source of begging to feed themselves. Okay, so children with disability, and this might be typical throughout many of the poorer places in India, uh, they're often reduced to begging in order to survive. Uh, Glenda, I wonder if you've got uh, some insights here into just the uh, way we talk about abandoned or traumatised because uh, we can describe that in a significant way when we talk about children who are left on the street to beg for their survival. Sure. It's extremely difficult. I mean, we have real, no real comprehension of what it is like to be abandoned or to be in a situation of begging, even here in Australia. Um, I know we have social problems here, but it's nothing like India. Maybe this illustration would help. A little girl whose name was, let's call her Shah, that's not her real name, she was born to blind beggars. So both her parents were blind. She was on the streets in Pune, which is a large city near where Mukti is, and she was pushed in the back of a hut as a baby because both parents were blind. 
she was quite a bright little girl and the social work, one of the social workers from Mokti used to walk past this couple and see her, this brand new baby. And so they spoke to the parents and they eventually agreed to come to Mukti and allow this little girl to have an education, to grow up there, to have somewhere safe because she was exposed to danger just lying on the street in the back of a little hut on a main road in Pune. A situation we wouldn't put a brand new baby in at all. So eventually she did and the social worker brought this couple to Mukti and this little Shah, she came and stayed there. When she was about six, her parents came back, they used to visit, and they wanted to take her back to the streets because now she was an educated child. She'd been to school for two or three years by this stage and she was educated and they wanted her to come back because she would be a better beggar. Now, put yourself in the position of those parents. They saw an opportunity of making some money so that they could survive. They had no other way of doing it. And this, their little girl was there. But this little girl stood up to her parents and she said, no, mum and dad, I don't want to come back. I want to stay here. I want to go to school. And she also told them about Jesus, how much Jesus loved her and that she wanted to share that with her parents. Today, that little girl, who I know, and I know her quite well, she's now in junior college. She's just starting junior college, year 11 at Mukti. So what a life transformation for her. She should have been a beggar. But no, she's a very smart young woman and she's starting year 11. Now she has great hopes for her future to go on to university, as many of the girls do these days. And so, you know, that's transformation. That's empowerment. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. And you can join in our conversation today, 1-800-316-316. If you have a question or a comment about the things we're talking about today, talking about what happens in Christian mission in a nation where poverty is widespread and where oftentimes the victims of that poverty are children who are abandoned, children who are destitute, left to beg for survival, and not only their own survival, but the survival of their families. Our special guests this hour are from a mission outfit in India, the Mukti Mission we're talking about today. The National Director in Australia, Glenda DeYager, is in Adelaide this week, and two guests, Malvika and Chaya, who are out of the Mukti Mission and really are products of what's happened of Christian mission there over uh, more than 130 years since the founding of the Mukti Mission. Uh, Glenda, let me come to you for a moment and uh, not too long out from news, uh, but this idea of children who are abandoned. Uh, there is a Christian ethic that gets applied when Christian mission is set up, not only for the salvation of souls, but for the transformation of people and families that happens because this Christian ethic is applied. And, and these two ladies you have with you, they are the product of that. But give us some little insight here into what happens when you apply a Christian understanding, faith, belief into the context in, in India there. Neil, I think um, Christians would say that um, uh, certainly Jesus cared for the whole person. And so we as followers of his need to do likewise. And I think that's illustrated many times in the Bible, and I'm sure people could uh, think of those Bible stories that would reflect that. 
And so as people of faith, um, we want to do what Jesus would do. And so when we see a child who is abandoned or a child who doesn't have opportunity, whether they be a boy or a girl, um, I think our compassion that we work from would inspire us to do something about it. Now, working with our brothers and sisters who are in their own countries is um, the way best forward because they understand the language and the culture and all those things and it's not foreign to them. And so as we join in partnership with them, we can be doing that too. We can be the hands and feet of Jesus in that way. And so through our uh, national staff that are, are Indians in their own countries, they speak the language, they understand the culture, all those things that we struggle with as foreigners, uh, they're able to reach out and do those things. And so when you see children who with disability and in the world context of the world view of that particular country, they don't have the same understanding that we would have as Christians as to their value. And so we would care for them, um, give them the opportunity to have a whole life to the best of their ability. I think the three kids who uh, were left on a railway station, for example, quite near Mukti, not very far away, some years ago now, these three kids, mum and dad told them that they would be going to get some food for them to come back and bring it to them at the station and to sit there. At the end of the day... The station master came along and saw these three kids still sitting there. Now those kids had disabilities and so they weren't able to communicate that they needed food, they needed water and where were mum and dad. But the station master fortunately had the insight to see that what the situation was and that they were unable to care for themselves. And so he rang. I'm not sure if he called the police or called one of the social workers at Mukti, but he did one of those two things and so some staff were able to come and get the, take those children and through the processes of the um, Social Welfare Department of India, they were able to stay at Mukti. Those kids today are quite grown up. They still live with disability, but they are loved and cared for and treated in a way that is... Um, adding to their ability to be the fullest human beings that they can be. And it's wonderful to see all those kids with a disability living at Mukti. There's about 40 girls. Uh, Glenda, let me just cut in because we're about to go to news, but just a wonderful thing to hear that when children are found in one sense, we could talk about being lost and we could talk about being found. When they're left abandoned, they have no hope. But when Christian mission... Uh, is an option, then they come into a family where they're loved and uh, lives are transformed. Uh, before we talk some more about the children and the girls, let me ask you, Glenda, because one of the significant things that Ramabai was uh, so good at, and she was a very, very intelligent lady, undoubtedly, and going back this 100, 130 years ago, uh, she was actually... Uh, so well educated, uh, she could speak seven languages, and so she applied her language capacity to translating the Bible. Uh, give us some insights here into how this early mission activity of Bible translation was something about Ramabai's uh, legacy that she left. Well, Ram Neil, Ramabai left an amazing legacy in India. She, as I said earlier in the program, she was um, born into a high caste Hindu family, and so. Her father, as a guru, a teacher, a, a religious teacher, had the foresight 
uh, very much against the culture of his time, to educate his wife to read and write. In turn, he educated Ramabai to read and write. Her name is Rama at that stage. Bai is a term of respect on the end of her name, which she was given later. Uh, she was taught to read and write, and so by the time she was 12, she could recite 18,000 verses of the Hindu scriptures, the Hindu holy books. An amazing achievement, and that was recognised later by the bandits in Calcutta when she was given the title of Pandita. But after she went to England and was, um, uh, became a Christian, she came back to India, and so she wanted to see change within the society. And so she encouraged the training of women doctors she took the kindergarten system to India and she also translated the scriptures, the Christian scriptures, the Bible, from Greek and Hebrew. Now that's quite some achievement. And uh, so she did that and she finished on her deathbed. And so that was sort of her last work, if you like, in um, her time in India, you know, as, as, a, um, as a teacher. So she left an amazing legacy that others have followed. Still today, people from around the world go to Mukti to do PhDs on various aspects of Ramabai's life. And there is quite a collection of um, historic documents and books in a library there that people go to study. So she's still well one of the well-known um, uh, figures in Indian history of uh, certainly speaking up for the rights of women. And she was the first woman to do that. Glenda, great to hear that. Let's turn a little attention back to Malvika. Malvika, let me ask you about girls in India today because if we reflect on the heritage and Ramabai and rescuing uh, girls as young as eight years old who were child brides and uh, those who've been left abandoned and those who are, uh, you know, uh, child widows and those sorts of things as we were talking about, uh, ask, because India is such a huge culture, the population is huge and the culture doesn't change as quickly as we might think here in Australia. There are so many girls who are still under dreadful uh, levels of oppression. Give us a little insight into what girls typically today in India are facing as they're looking to grow up to be young women. Today also, uh, last 52 years, we are suffering same problem which I suffered. Last, uh, behind 52 years, my parents abandoned me at Mukti and still now, we are suffering the same problem with the girls. Girls are always unwanted for their parents because they wanted a boy child to continue their generation. And sometimes it's happened that they killed their girls in front of their parents or uh, their family members also. Well, wow. So uh, girls have typically, and this has not changed... Girls have been unwanted because families have wanted a boy and so if they can't afford to raise a girl, uh, what you're saying is sometimes they've been even killed in front of their families. Mm. Is I have that... one story in my school. Last year she admitted in my school. Her name is Gayatri. Her, her mother killed by her father in front of that little girl. So she was very stressed. 
she was in trauma last one year after that they admitted in mukti mission school and she began to start speaking she was began to start interact with each other but when she saw that her mother was killed by her father she was absolutely uh, in trauma okay glenda let me come back to you because as we're hearing these things and almost unbelievable for us here in our australian context in australian culture to hear that these things go on in day-to-day activity in india and these sorts of things are really very uh, counter to our ideas of what uh, common sense ordinary life is all about uh, can you give us a little insight into here when you know when we're hearing malvika talking about families killing their girls even in front of their families or i've heard of stories where people have uh, where there've been families not afford not can't afford to raise a child and uh, they allow them to just simply starve to death and this sort of thing is uh, how common is this when it when it happens in indian families too common far too common female infanticide is still practiced as malvika has said and uh, yeah the the great need to have a boy as a means of succession and as a means of support. There aren't the social welfare systems that we have and we take for granted. And so if you don't have a boy, you have no future as elderly parents because that's your source of income. When, when a girl marries, let me put it this way. When, when my, um, if my daughter gets married, I'm very excited because I gain a son-in-law. But that's not the way it is in Indian culture. If my daughter marries, she actually goes to the, to the son-in-law's family. And so she's no longer part of my family, but she becomes part of his. And so there's a great pull and a great desire and a need to have a son. And that uh, determines a lot of what happens in India. But certainly there is still the... Um, lack of respect and lack of regard for a girl child and she's very much second rate in any family if there's food to be had the boy will be given the food rather than the girl if there's education to be had the boy child will be educated and not the girl so it's very much the girl is still the marginalized one in an indian context Chaya, you are the one who is the social worker at Mukti and wonderful to be able to get your insights today. I wonder whether you can reflect on how you might address some of these things in the lives of children because they've been abandoned, because they would maybe even have been put to death had they not come into the care of Mukti. How do you actually, how do you practically care for these sorts of children who have gone through such dreadful ordeals? Shia, how do you care for the children who've been traumatised and in an ordeal? Yeah. Um, uh, mainly, I'm working with the children. So, many children come from a traumatised background. Um, we have little um, Niranjan, who is eight, eight years old, and uh, his sister with us, uh, who is ten years old. Their mother passed away. And father was uh, missing uh, last several uh, some years. So these children were abandoned, and uh, their their 
relatives were not able to take care of these two children so uh, they brought these two children in the mission but niranjan is very old so niranjan is little one so he is uh, he was crying for his mother and he is not speaking much with anyone so he he was crying crying and crying but uh, after weeks i spoke with him i spent some time with him and i gave some pictures to draw and after that he he was uh, he was speaking some some words means he he he, he don't want to stay at mukti actually and then afterwards he was all right and he was playing with the with little one little children and he is very attached with uh, his sister and that little sister also taking care of that uh, of her brother and now they are, they both are okay in mukti mission always he comes to me and uh, he he speak with him with me and he uh, now he is happy child in mukti mission glenda let me come back to you here because uh, when we think of children who are a part of christian mission homes uh, sometimes we get the impression that uh, everybody's happy and running around because now they've found this wonderful loving family environment uh, but when the children come to a mission home like mukti clearly they're not uh, those happy children uh, giggling and laughing and playing and uh, and their their whole lives appear to be really oppressed because of the dreadful traumatization that they've been through how do you reflect on what sort of time it takes to bring a child out of that trauma and so that they can be a a happy child perhaps with a laughter on their lips i guess over the 11 years that i've been at mukti now or been visiting mukti um i've seen the transformation of some of those kids kids who sat with very glum looks some years ago and now are assimilated into a community and have a future and a hope but mukti is also forward thinking in that we don't just want to be involved with the children where it's possible to bring a parent as well that's important and to maintain a family together and so today mukti has a mother and child section where a single mum maybe she's got herself pregnant and um or she's become pregnant through various circumstances sometimes it's an abusive relative and so uh, that happens sometimes it's a husband who's then abandoned her sometimes it's a young single girl and the parent doesn't even know she's pregnant and so dad would throw her out may kill the baby may kill her if he found out so she might flee to mukti and come and so she wants to she can stay then with her child with her new baby and and that child can um grow up at mukti she can stay with the child until she's able to uh move on in her life she may leave after a time so that's been established for some time and that facility is actually funded by a group in western australia a very generous foundation attached to a christian church there and it's wonderful that we have that facility now but a new facility has also just being started now and that's for mothers and boys because traditionally mukti has been all about girls but when a mum comes with a daughter and a son and she's fleeing from a husband who is abusive what do you do with the boys yeah well under government rules in india the boys can only stay until they're 7 years old 
with the girls. And there are some little boys in, in the Mukti family group homes. But now we're having a centre is just almost at completion now for mothers and sons. So that when the boys get to seven, they can stay on and be with their mums and so a whole new area is being developed that will have animal, as well as education, will have animal husbandry and farming and agriculture and be able to teach the boys those skills as well. And that centre is um, under development now. And that's through the support of some Australians as well. So Mukti is trying to keep the family together where that's possible, where it's a mum and her children, rather than... Um, you know, them having to split up, which has been the case in the past because of the, the way the, the rules are. Yeah. Let me you come back to... The rules, of course. Let's come back so to Malvika here, Glenda. Uh, Glenda, let's come back to Malvika. Uh, Malvika, yes. uh, you're there, you're the principal of the school and uh, children coming through the school. I think we heard there's uh, more than 570 students in this primary yes. school that you're the principal of. I wonder if uh, you can reflect on whether things are... Uh, easy for you to run a Christian school because no doubt there'll be many listeners knowing that there are some changes that are happening in India and perhaps it making it a little harder for Christian mission to operate. Uh, I wonder whether you can reflect on just how difficult it might be running a Christian school in India, uh, which is not in line with the uh, the idea that, uh, you know, an intensifying uh, focus on the Hindu uh, religion. What are your thoughts for of how hard it is being a Christian? It's a, a very popular Marathi primary school in the, that district, and we have 575 students, mostly from nearby village. And villages are very supportive, but sometimes it's happened in Christian schools that um, governments that we authorized by governments that officers are very rudely with us because we are taking prayers, morning prayers, no? The ocean prayers. So they are not allowing us nowadays to taking prayers in our um, schools. Now, last five years, we have started yoga program in our schools. Sometimes it's difficult for us to do yogas uh, in our schools, but it's compulsory in our education system. Okay. Uh, so prayers are not allowed in a Christian school. And uh, I wonder, Glenda, are you able to reflect on uh, some of the challenging circumstances that might be ahead for schools in India? I think, Malvika, uh, prayers are allowed. They can, they can have um, morning prayers. That's okay. And as... Uh, Melvika said, you know, they have to have this compulsory yoga program, but you can do that in such a way that it's not um, what we might understand as yoga. Let's put it that way, that it can be exercise and music, and that can still uh, be acceptable to the authorities who come and check, and in fact that's been the case. When they've seen it in process, that's been fine, and they don't understand the subtle differences, of course. Well, of course, but, um, yeah, when we talk about this idea of a, of a, of a Christianised yoga program, I suspect is what you're alluding to there, because in a Christian school, sometimes uh, the concepts of yoga and the connection there with Hinduism are quite challenging, and, and yes. uh, we won't get into the controversy over all of that, but no. as, you, as you do indicate, uh, there's a compulsory nature, even in a Christian school, that they have to have a oh, yoga yes. class, so uh, very, very yes. challenging. 
Uh, let me just yes, spend that's, a... That's typical of some of the challenges that our leadership face. Yes. And there are many challenges that they face in very much a changing India, but they have to um, be wise and uh, careful in how they address those. And that's why you need uh, very sound leaders and boards that are sensitive to the culture in which they live because it's their own country and understanding that as Christian believers... They have to be true to the gospel, but they also have to obey the laws of the country. Yes, there are challenges, undoubtedly, in all of that. I want to spend just a few minutes here because no doubt there'll be people listening to us today. It's been a complete surprise, even a shock, uh, that it's so different in India when you're talking about the way that young girls are treated and uh, how families will often do away with their little girls in favour of keeping their little boys. And if there's a tough economic circumstance, oftentimes it's the little girl who is suffering most or begging on the street or even put to death. Uh, Those sorts of things are really quite shocking. Uh, There are ways that people can support Mukti Mission. And uh, Glenda, I want to ask you, uh, you're going to be doing this tour and uh, around Victoria. You've got some dates set and uh, you'd like to be able to make a few more friends for Mukti Mission, for people who can support the good work that you're doing there. How can people best get on side and uh, befriend you and be supporters of what you're doing? Sure. As Christian believers, we can all pray. And I'm sure many of your listeners are people who pray. And so we would encourage people to uh, look up the Mukti website and join in and receive our news and then they can pray effectively not only for Mukti but for India in general. And so that's something that we can all do. Secondly, we can uh, be supporting of the girls and the boys, some little boys, who for their education. And so we run Mukti largely on a sponsorship program $35 a month is, goes towards their education and their health and uh, all the things that they need to be uh, brought up in a holistic atmosphere. And so we have, about, uh, we have a number of kids at the moment who need someone to love and care for them through a sponsorship program. We have over 50 needing that. And then also we're at the moment, because of the influx of, of children wanting education in the Mukti schools, we're building some extra classrooms in the junior college and so we have a fund going for the for education, and that's to provide for once these kids grow up from from um, Malvika school and finish in primary school and they go into the high school, we need extra facilities there. We've got 150 extra students into the high school this year. Wow! And so uh, that's a few more classrooms needed, even with 50 kids in a class. Yes, and, and of course we'd like to reduce those numbers. Uh, so that it isn't 100, uh, not 50 kids in a class. It's quite an amazing sight to see them all stand up very uh, respectfully when you walk into a class, often quite different to a school in Australia, and they'll all stand and the class captain will say, good afternoon, ma'am, and then they will all sit and wait for further instructions. Well, so it's a very different uh, um, situation you see there, but they are very crowded classrooms, three to a desk, and so we'd like to be able to see uh, better facilities there in the schools. Well, let me give the website so that those listeners who are inspired by hearing a conversation like this today might be able to do their part, whether it's becoming a prayer partner or because uh, you have this opportunity to sponsor a child. And, of course, yes, of course, you have needs, extra classrooms in your junior college. And as those children go into high school, 
150 extra students going into high school this year and so the facilities are always going to be a challenge. So let me give the website at mukti.org.au. Now you spell that M-U-K-T-I. That's M-U-K-T-I dot org dot A-U. You did mention, Glenda, sponsorship of a child, $35 a month. You mentioned that there were over 50 children who are awaiting a sponsor. So an opportunity there for perhaps uh, listeners to connect with children in the mission that's going on there with the Mukti mission. So it's M-U-K-T-I dot org dot A-U. Uh, Glenda, wonderful to hear from you and uh, thank you so much to Malvika and to Chaya uh, for joining us in this conversation today. I know you've got that tour that's going on. You're in uh, Adelaide right now, but you're going to be doing the tour. It's going in through Victoria as well and so encourage listeners uh, to be able to connect with uh, the mission. You'll find some dates there too for those gatherings at mukti.org.au. Uh, ladies, thank you so much for joining us today on 2020. Well, thank you, Neil. Thank, thank you. you for having us. And can I just mention that gifts to Mukti are also tax deductible, thanks to the Australian government. Well, that's so thank great. Thank you very much for having us. And uh, we have a dinner on Saturday night here in Adelaide, and if others want to come, they're most welcome. And we look forward to seeing some people around Australia. Thank you so much. The details at mukti.org.au. That's mukti.org.au. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.